I love you, Kerrville Church. Love Scott and Melissa Warner. And uh, we're thinking of Scott and Melissa. Scott's away as a guest speaker at a conference in uh, DFW. And pray for Scott and Melissa as they travel back to Kerrville, back to be with us. And are grateful that Scott's uh, gifts uh, not only bless this church, but really bless others in tremendous ways. And um, it's good to be a part of the family of God in this place and um, thankful that God has called uh, Scott and Melissa uh, to journey with us. And uh, I want to think more about where Scott is pointing us, where God is pointing us, and Scott is uh, drawing our attention to as we seek his way uh, this morning. But let me ask you uh, to center yourselves. Um, I always like to think that um, as we come to this moment that we are opening our hearts. We are um, uh, creating some room. We are attending well to the presence and the wisdom of God as we discern it together. And uh, we are doing so not only as an intellectual exercise, and I like intellectual exercises. I hope you're, I hope you're inspired to think uh, but more importantly, I hope that God in our midst by the power of his spirit is shaping us, moving our hearts, shaping our minds and our hearts to love him more deeply, to love each other more deeply, yes? So I, I too want to join in join the prayers that we are praying this morning, the series of prayers that have been prayed as we come to this moment. So if you take a moment, we'll be just a moment of silence to center ourselves and to allow some room for God to be, uh, to move close to us. Um, I'll word a prayer and then we'll, we'll uh, dwell in God's word together. God, slow us down, center us. Draw us into space where deep can speak to deep. Where your presence by your spirit can guide and train our thoughts, but also shape the affections of our hearts and change us, really. Because we desire to be more and more and more like Jesus whom we love and follow. Help us to be bold in professing our love for you and help us to be bold in professing our love for each other. Help us to be bold in embracing and knowing our story with all of its imperfection and pain and uncertainty. That you might be near to us and draw us up into your purpose. So bless now this time where we dwell in your word together and so know uh, your presence, your life, and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're gathered around uh, these words from uh, Acts. God has called us into the space to dwell uh, in the first chapter of Acts. Uh, since the turn of the calendar year, January 1, we've been dwelling in this particular phrase, and I kind of like it that we can 
stay with it for long enough uh, to really allow it to do its work in us, where uh, Jesus is calling disciples to be witnesses in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. I, I hope that as I say that, you're registering, oh yeah, that's what we've been talking about for the last three weeks. Jerusalem and Judea and be my witnesses in these three places. Scott's invited us to dwell there. And really from the very first sermon in the month of January where we walked uh, into Acts chapter 1 and these words... I've been struck. I think the sermon that Scott preached the first Sunday of the year, the first in this series in Acts 1, is, and I'm not just saying this, is one of the finest sermons I've heard in a long time. So, I, I, I hear a lot of sermons. I, one of the dangers of teaching, preaching, is you become a critic of preaching. I'm just telling you. So I want to remind you about that sermon. You remember it's the one where Scott said, I had this big aha, and then he put the map up there, remember? And he said, the amazing thing is, as I reflect on this, is that the disciples are just outside of Jerusalem when Jesus is crucified and resurrected and appears to them. And then the disciples go up to Galilee. Remember that? He, he, had the, he was so excited to use the laser pointer. It's like, okay. But it works, right? The laser pointer. And he showed you, it's way up here. Like, they had to go way up here. And then they back in Acts chapter 1, they're back just outside of Jerusalem. And that's where the ascension of Jesus takes place. And his aha was, oh, that's not like a short little jaunt that they had to travel all this way. And in order to get there, they were traveling some territory that they had traversed with Jesus previously, that they had walked with Jesus and the things that they had seen him do and say and, and their own wrestling with what it meant to follow Jesus and make sense of all this. They had to recount all of that in the journey so that by the time they got back and heard Jesus say these words, you'll be my witnesses, that that's the whole point. That they're gathering all this up so that they can bear testimony, so that they can tell the story of, remember that time? When? And when they're trying to make sense of something that makes no sense, or they're up against fierce resistance, or whatever the case, they're able to draw upon that story. Remember the time? When? I think that sermon really, to me, struck me. And I think Scott said it this way. I wrote it down this way. The only thing that matters, the only thing that Jesus asks of us is our story. The only thing Jesus asks of us is our story. I'd like to think, and we often say and acknowledge that when we come together and assemble in this place, when we step out of the daily routine and set aside this day as the Lord's Day, and we come into this space, our worship is offering ourselves to God. It is the offering of ourselves to God, right? But our story, our story is an offering to God as well. And so as we move through Acts 1 this morning, and then on through Acts, I'm anticipating that Scott is eventually going to get to Acts 2. <laughs> no, I know he is. As we move through Acts 1 today, something 
There's something about, I want to call our attention to this profound place where our human brokenness and frailty, where our humanity meets God's presence and power. A touch point. It's what captivates me as I think about where we've been the last several weeks and where God's leading us as we're seeking his way and discerning together. And as I listen to these words in Acts chapter 1, it almost seems like we rush right past it, even though we've been there for three or four weeks. It almost seems like the text rambles forward and we can miss this word. This singular word, it's unassuming, um, not even eloquent, <laughs> this word. It's just four letters. This notion um, of God's story, our story, and God's story in this one word, it's been there the whole time. Do not leave Jerusalem. Tracking with me? Acts 1. Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait. Just wait. That one word. Wait. And while the text seems to rush forward and press forward, and if you're just kind of reading it through, you know, like doing your Bible reading, and you're reading several verses, you'll roll right past it, I think. But it's been there the whole time, and it, to me, it, it sort of arrests us, the word, wait. Slows us down. Creates space. And I don't even really like that word, wait, honestly. I don't like long lines. I don't like red lights. Anyone think, oh, good, I got the red light. <laughs> Anyone ever said that? I'm hoping I catch the red lights. No one ever says that. I don't like long lines. I don't like red lights. I don't like at the restaurant sitting there staring at that little electronic disc with the red lights. You're just kind of waiting for it to buzz and the lights to light up. Just sitting there. Anyone ever said, well, I hope it doesn't buzz like for the next 30 minutes? No, no, I, no one likes the wait. Not even the sound of the word, wait. <laughs> it feels, well, it feels, to me, it feels heavy. and makes me wonder if it isn't one of those tricks of the English language where <laughs> the word wait means two different things but sounds exactly the same. You know, the weight is heavy. The weight is heavy. Insert whichever meaning you like. I think that's it. And I think it's the, 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 the uh, piece that maybe we've been missing. We rush right past all the waiting, all the long, frustrating, confusing, in between. The wait. Because the wait is where all the uncertainty lies. Right? The wait is filled with confusion sometimes. The wait is where there's space, and who knows what's going to happen in the space. Most often, it's the kind of space where 
all the pain might bubble up to the surface. And then you got to deal with that in the waiting. The weight is indeed heavy. And I know I'm using the word in a lot of different ways this morning, but I would suggest to you that the weight, the in-between, is precisely where the story's being written. Your story's being written. These friends of Jesus threw their hopes and their future into Jesus. They rode with Jesus all the way home to Jerusalem. Ride or die, thinking mostly ride, and then it was die. And it all came crashing down. I wonder if to them it seemed sudden. Like right up to the moment, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this is happening. It all broke open. And what were they left with? They were left with the waiting. The what now? The in-between. The confusion. The doubt. The uncertainty. Can you feel? I just want us to create, again, some space, some room to feel the heaviness of the waiting, the weight of the waiting. It's how fragile life can be. It's the pain. It's loss. It's the what now. I, I thought I knew where life was and where life was going, but it's, it's all uh, been undone now, and I don't know what the future looks like. It's not what I thought it was. That's the waiting. That's the heaviness of the waiting. Years ago, I listened to my friends tell the story of the birth of their child, their first child, the anticipation, the birth of their first child, you know, with all the hope and anticipation that comes with that, all of the gifts and the preparations and all of the excitement, first-time parents-to-be, the future all stretched out before them. They told about how their baby died right there suddenly, right there in the room where he was delivered. They told about sitting in the hospital room, rocking in the rocking chair, their lifeless firstborn son. The form of their long-awaited future, their child. And she wrote these words, reflecting on it, trying to make sense of it in the afterglow of that terrible moment. She wrote this. Winter came to me suddenly and unexpectedly with all its heavy, icy stillness. I had only known lightness, warmth, and motion before the day my most terrifying nightmare became reality, and I was forced to say goodbye to my firstborn only son. It was time to leave him on the hospital bed. I laid him down gently. Thrust into the abyss of the waiting. Some heaviness to sitting in that space. Yes. I remember the story about bright, articulate, beautiful 
young girl. She graduated high school early and headed off to college a semester in advance because why wait? Had the opportunity and so she left home and for the spring semester off at college to, and she was returning at the end of the spring back home to participate in high school graduation with their first semester of college under her belt. On the drive home, her phone buzzed a message. She picked up the phone to reply, and in that instant, her car violently collided with the pillar of an overpass, and she was gone just like that. A mother, a father, siblings, grandparents, aunts, uncles, all of them thrust into the abyss. What now? How do you make sense of that? Just left in the in-between. Some of you know the waiting. As I tell these stories, you recognize some of them for yourself. Maybe in the past you've sat in that space. Maybe you sit there still. Maybe some of you, even in this moment, are in the terrible in-between, the waiting. And it's not necessarily just the grief that comes from the death of a child or someone you love, but sometimes it's even the loss of yourself. I listen to um, the work of a group of young musical artists out of something called, I'll see if there's any recognition, probably not from the older generation, but the younger generation, but th this um, group called uh, Songhouse. You can find them on you know, Instagram or any of those social media things. Song, check it out if you have Songhouse. And it's stunning and moving and heavy even because the way the music is created is out of this group, this collective of people, really gifted artists and songwriters, but who are trying to tap into something deep within themselves that's vulnerable. One of the taglines is 30 minutes to get real. One of those artists sings these words. Stuck inside the cycle that has always been, running from the tidal wave that just came in, how did I get here again? Looking for a different end, I try to find the magic in the madness, but all I've ever known was a girl from a broken home. A girl from a broken home. The in-between the waiting, where the pain bubbles to the surface. You, against all the, the hopes that you want to hold, it seems as if they slip away and you're just left in, in the waiting. I think this is what our friends, um, our brothers and sisters who are alcoholics know, honestly. Choose that word purposefully, honestly. That the only way to healing is through that kind of vulnerability to sit in the waiting, in the honesty, with the courage and the heaviness to not move past it, but to embrace it, the brokenness. 
and find healing. To own brokenness as the very seat of healing. There is heaviness. Even I get the sense, I feel it in my tone. I sense it in the room. This is, it feels heavy, weighty. But what I want you to know is that's the very place where your story and my story, where our stories are being written. And in case you're wondering what happens in the waiting in Acts 1, well, it all leads back to Jerusalem, to an upstairs room where they sit together in even more waiting. This is Acts 1, 12 through 14. It's the words that are on your uh, um, order of service there, and I'll just read them out of the translation I have here. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus and uh, Simon the Zealot and Judas son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. They all gather back in Jerusalem, and here they are again in the waiting. What they do is they huddle up, they look around, and they begin to count heads. That list of names. Count them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, eleven. But Jesus had called twelve, but now there's only eleven. And so they begin to think to themselves, well, after Judas had betrayed Jesus and after Judas had died, we need a twelfth. We need a number twelve. And so you know what they do? In the midst of their praying and huddling together and praying, they say, hey, let's select between two, between Joseph or Matthias. So they roll the dice Literally, they roll the dice. I'm not using that as a metaphor. They roll the dice and they select Matthias. Now they have 12, and that matters. You know why that matters? Not because Jesus randomly picked 12 apostles, 12 disciples to come and follow him, but because that number was connected to something going way back that bore witness to the work of God in and through his people, 12. And Jesus called 12. In other words, that as they sat there in the uncertainty of all of this in the waiting, they were allowing God to be present in the midst of that waiting and to connect them again to God's purposes, to God's purpose for the world being worked out. The relentless love of God pressing in, it's the terrible, tremendous, and transformative in-between space the, the waiting is. What I want you to know is that that whole strange roll-the-dice thing is acknowledging God's in the room, in the waiting. Right? 
Don't get so hung up on casting of lots, rolling of dice, that you miss the point, which is in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of the undoneness, in the midst of all of the pain that bubbles up, God's in the room, and it's precisely in the waiting that God is connecting us to his purpose to redeem, to restore, to heal, to mend the brokenness of the world in all its fractured places within us and around us. Wherever we are in the heaviness of the waiting, it's precisely in that place that the presence and purpose of God is emerging in us and through us, not around the waiting, not over the waiting, the pain, the brokenness, not in spite of the waiting, but in the heaviness of the waiting. And the very call to witness is the act of, it's the courage to hold that story forged in the waiting and to offer it up. Not to keep it hidden or secret or buried deep beneath the surface, but to offer it up. It is odd to me as I think on these things that the very thing that God forges in us through our stories of brokenness and pain, of heartache and grief, of uncertainty and doubt are the very things that get pushed beneath the surface among the people of God and the people out there who are trying to find their way hold it so freely. Does that make sense? I like my songhouse friends' slogan, 30 minutes to get real. <laughs> what if church were an hour to get real? Not just um, so that in, in some ways we can um, drag each other down, but so that we can know and discover the power and the presence of God in the realness of our humanity and our brokenness. I, I wager to say that unless you're in children's church, it may be the exception, but it may not, you all bear wounds and scars and things from your past. Even those of you who are um, the, the elderly-est among us. I didn't say that very gracefully, did I? <laughs> You've experienced some life. And not all of it's been easy. And not all of it's been good. The notion that you might offer that up as witness... And that the courage for some of us to begin to do that would then create the space for those that are sitting in the midst of their own pain and brokenness right now to find hope. I think that 
as we're seeking God's way. And if I, I, if I am paying attention at all to what I think Scott is trying to say, look what God is doing in Acts 1, and look what God may be doing among us, he's pointing us toward that place where we can come back to the waiting, the terrible but tremendous transformative in-between. And instead of seeing that as something to be ashamed of or to hide or to dismiss because it was a part of a past, to draw it forward, to bear witness to God's presence and God's purpose in us and in the world. So I'm inviting you as we begin to come to a table set with bread broken, okay? The body of Christ broken and given to you. That your act, our collective act, sitting in that moment around that table to receive the bread broken and given is to give thanks and to say, yes, I will be broken and given to my story, my brokenness, my humanity, my pain, my doubt, my confusion, my grief, my loss, all of it, I will be broken and given to. That the gift of God in Jesus' brokenness is an invitation to find God's presence, power, and purpose in being broken and given to. And that when we take the cup, even a little one with a little peel-off, we take the cup and we say to each other, this is the, the, the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation, poured out That we are saying, thank you, Jesus, for the gift of being poured out. And when we take it, we are saying, we will be poured out too. All of our brokenness, all of our pain, all of our confusion, our uncertainty, our doubt, our grief, our loss, all of it forged in the waiting, we will pour it out and offer it up. Witness. Witness in the waiting. Let's pray. Oh God, you join us in the most vulnerable places. If the cross of Jesus instructs us at all about who you are, God, if the life of Jesus informs us at all about who you are, God, it says that you join us precisely in the most vulnerable places, in the most broken places. That you call us to offer ourselves as you have offered yourself in our brokenness, in our frailty, in our uncertainty, in our, to offer it to you. In the space that we claim is the waiting, the in-between, and I pray 
that you, by the coming of your spirit in power, like a mighty rushing wind, would give us, engender in us the courage to offer ourselves up in brokenness, to bear witness to your presence, your power, and your purpose. Be glorified in us as we seek to bear witness to your work in the waiting. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.